0: All right, all right. Don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. Hey, it's great to see you all. Thank you for coming. Uh, This um, first podcast uh, is going to be hopefully part of a longer series of conversations with um, sort of key art players in the city. Each of the episodes is going to have Michelle D with us. Give her a whoop. Thank you, everybody. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Michelle, of course, is the sort of voice of culture in the city, um, an arts blogger, a reviewer, uh, a critical friend. Indeed. Not too critical.
1: Not too, Well, yeah. now I have, uh, I have uh, my wings, so I can be more critical than before.
0: Go on, tell us a little bit more about those wings, Michelle. We
1: launched Hot Potato Hull today, which is the first kind of really critical uh, theatre platform.
0: What, what's Hot in, Potato all about?
1: Hot Potato, so... It's three critics uh, in a new critics uh, program, run by Middle Child Theatre Company, and uh, they want to raise the level of theatre critique, the same way that the level of uh, theatre has been raised in the city.
0: Sounds good. That's something to follow. Hotpotato.com, Is it? the new Hot website. Potato Hot Hole. Hot Potato hole. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. Is that the website address? I think so. it it's
1: right? .com or .com. UK. I really didn't check before I came no, on. No, we should have done that. <laughs> Well, if you're listening in But it has just gone live, just today, so... Cool. If you're listening into this
0: podcast, we'll make sure that web address for Michelle's output is written into the show notes. Yeah, thank you for that, Michelle. So each of these podcasts is also going to have an audience, like you lot. I put it down here. Uh, the, the big and the small from across... <laughs> Across recent audiences in, in this city of culture here in Hull, where we're recording from, yes? So each of these podcasts is really about shining a light on one of the creative producers, the creative voices, some someone that is you know, producing poetry, writing, music, playwriting, that sort of thing in the city. So each of these podcasts is going to have a special guest, and the special guest tonight is uh, a local poet now your publisher has written this of you it uh, your publisher has written it was once said of another hull poet andrew marvel andrew marvel that he had a tough reasonableness under a lyric grace uh, that is something according to your publisher that also applies to this special guest poet tonight tough yet reasonable Dogmatic yet understanding.
2: Ooh, yes. yes, I don't know how to answer that one. <laughs> Ask me another.
0: Our guest tonight is the, the poet Matt Nicholson. Thanks for coming, Matt. Thank really you. Good to see you. Thank you very much. So in your first collection of poems, you took inspiration from your return to the north having lived Dine Scythe uh, for a number of years, you grouped your first poems in your first collection into sections, yeah? yes. tackling those bigger issues of humanity. Redemption, ambition, progress.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm regretting it now. <laughs> so in
0: this collection... Yeah. which is called We Are Not All Blessed With a Hat-Shaped Head. Your starting inspiration, seemingly, is the humble hat. So is this you wanting to get ahead?
2: Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, I No, not at all. Um, what it is, is um, I like long titles, first and foremost. I also think um, that when I was putting the collection together for the first time, I noticed there was quite a lot of poems that sort of dealt with conformity and dealt with the fact that sometimes conformity needs to be praised and alluded to and aspired to, and other times it needs to be supported or criticised. And I thought that when I was reading the poems, there was sort of all sides there. And so I wanted a phrase that sort of said we're not all the same, but with slightly more poetic input to it. So... um I'm not quite sure, I think it probably came to me in a dream is probably the safest thing to say, Um, because I can't remember. (laughs) We've asked you to read
0: one poem that is perhaps key to the whole collection.
2: Yes, this poem is um, a poem that um, came about as a result of an existential crisis on an allotment and um, it's very much a poem about mortality and gardening Um, and it's a poem called An Allotment of Minutes. There is a man here. Working a walled garden. Turning soil, he makes decisions about the weeds. About what is fit for compost to grow better weeds next year. He fights the kettle in his shed and conjures unpotable tea as he remarks upon you and me under rusting screw-thread breath that we are the wasters of days, trespassing on his hours. The blister on his spade hand. Is at that point in its journey where it might harden to a callus or burst like an angry star. Pausing, he spits into his wringing palms and rubs his filthy hands together. By noon, when the birds sleep, he has forgotten about us watching. He is lost in a version of this world that he governs as best he can, executing febrile plans. He makes an ally of the rain, and his day, this old man working and ours, the wasters watching, will end up with an aching back and a tale of unused time.
0: Come on then, critical friend.
2: Yeah, what, Have you got your... an allotment? No, it was Rob Ewinson's allotment.
1: Oh, was it? I was just picturing you kind of sat in a shed, uh, writing and, and sort of growing radishes.
2: No, I, I borrowed um, the experience from Rob Ewinson's Anarchist Allotment. How was it? It was wonderful. He gave me some fruit and veg. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> so, to get the poetry bit
1: out of the way. <laughs> Always best. Always best. Um, I wrote about your, your new book we are not all blessed with a hat-shaped hat shaped, head
0: <laughs> let's get it right Go on, say that again yeah
1: we are not all <laughs> blessed with a hat-shaped head it was perfect in rehearsal so. i said that it has a strong sense of mortality and a constant sense of time and a simplicity of form and yet lots of layers and room for interpretation it's
2: not cozy would that be a fair interpretation i want to answer that with one word answer and just say yes thanks um I think so. I think there's, um, it's tricky because to, to analyze your own poetry is, is a bit weird. It's a bit navel gazy. But yeah, I think I like simplicity of form. I like the idea of dealing with just a moment rather than telling a long story. I sort of use this notion of climbing inside a moment and exploring that rather than sort of doing an epic, you know, tale of Troy or something, you know. So yeah, I think that's a pretty good description. I might hire you to do the next one.
1: It's fine, you can have that, it's fine, it's great okay. um, As with the first book, you've divided this into sections And it's sort of, the first section is on the clock And then you've got quarter past, half past, three quarters Three quarters two Quarter two That's it, quarter two, <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell the time <laughs>
0: It's not good, is it? Quarter past ten, fifteen, isn't it? That sort of thing, <laughs> that sort of thing
1: Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing But I think the first thing you have to do is uh, hat-shaped head.
2: Yes. What does it mean? Well, um... I was blessed with a very large head from birth. Hmm. Um, I've taken your headshots. Yes, you have. Yeah, <laughs> on a wide-angle lens. I knew yeah, it. <laughs> um, and I've tried to wear hats, and the only hat I've ever found that fitted me was a Hull City uh, steward's hat, which I nicked when I was once a steward at Hull City, and that got robbed at university. So um, that's the only hat that's ever fitted me. The only hat that's ever looked right on my head. Um, so I, uh, you know, carry that burden with me. Hence the title. <laughs>
1: And hat-shaped head, there is a a poem called
2: We Are Not All Blessed With
1: a Hat-Shaped Head, a prologue. Yeah. But then the line doesn't appear until the very last poem.
2: Yes, it's a narrative arc, you know. It is, isn't it? It's clever, that, isn't it? it? I don't think I've thought about it. Yeah, no,
1: yeah. I was because I, I was looking for it all the way through. I was like, well, where's this bloody line? Where's this line? Where's this line? But yes, yeah, it's right at the end of the book. So that was deliberate. You have afraid. to get you have to get right to the back of the book before you get it uh. in a in a poem called The End. Uh. But I was reading this today jo- in in uh, in the hospital waiting room. I was reading the poem Gone. I started tearing up. And I don't know whether that was because I was watching some bloke having needles stuck into him sort of out the corner of my eye or whether this was the the poem. But, yeah, I started tearing up, and that doesn't happen to me. Um, And when I say it's not cosy, it's not cuddly, it's not warm and comforting, there's some really hard edges. You really are aware of your your own sense of mortality and that of others. Do you think the Grim Reaper's behind you?
2: Well, I... (laughs) In the last few years, I've had uh, a couple of uh, heart-related issues. Um, hearts have...
1: come up in, the, in yes. a lot. You've got yeah. paper-shaped hearts and yeah. paper-wrapped hearts and yes. other hearts.
2: Well, I have heart failure and I have, I'm out of rhythm. I don't have a, a, a proper regular heartbeat, um, which for a poet, not having a rhythm is um, perhaps a weird one, but... Um, Yeah, in the last few years that's become a a factor in my life and I live with it, I live normally with it, but it's there and I think you've got to write what you know and you've got to write what you're feeling and you've got to write what's nearest to your emotions and the fact that, um, you know, I'm 46 years old and I go to hospital once every six months and that kind of thing and take a lot of tablets, um, I guess mortality is going to be a thing. The reason why um, the book's into four parts at the four quarters of the clock is, mm. is simply the reiteration of that time thing and time moving on. So, yeah. Do
0: you write for yourself or do you write for an audience?
2: I think I write for myself more than I did when I started out. I think um, it's very difficult to – I don't think I'm skilled enough to write for an audience. I think there's a certain kind of uh, writer who um, can jump out of their own, own self almost and write – As somebody else as a character for an audience um i think the more i do it the more i am aware of an audience because i'm doing quite a lot of performing as well um so i know which ones work well and i know why they work well hopefully as time goes on so but predominantly i think i write because well i think i write because the world befuddles me more than than most perhaps and i think i'm just trying to find answers to some of those bits that you know cause the confusion it's like therapy. It?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but do, do, you, do you have to go through some sort of um, personal liturgy to get this, this um, head that isn't hat-shaped into the right frame of mind for writing? Do you have a favourite pencil? Do you write at a particular desk? Do you write at a particular time of day? How? Do yeah, you, it's a habit. It's very much
2: that? a habit. I, I do write every day, and I do write for at least three hours every day. Um, A lot goes in the bin, obviously, um, as I hope most writers throw most of their stuff away and keep only the good stuff. Um, But I do write every day. I do think it's a habit. I do sit at the same desk. I do use the same pencil. Um, It's getting shorter. Yes. I've got 11 left in the box that are the (laughs) same. So when they're done, I might pack it in. (laughs) But yeah, that's it, really.
1: I would say we have to have a sort of uh, uh, telethon for pencils
2: for Matt, don't we? <laughs> I've actually got a poem about a pencil in the book. Do, go you, on, go do on. you want to read it? To no, me. it's dreadful.
0: No, come on. <laughs> Give us a dreadful poem.
2: I use these pencils which Hemingway used to use, right? How pretentious is that? Um, That's quite pretentious. It's brilliant, though. I love it. I love the fact that you can buy a pencil now that used to be made back then, and they're still making it now. And it's called a Blackwing 602. <laughs> Double sharpened point and cone, cedar wood and Japanese graphite glide across this page like an occluded front rolling in from the west. A touch too much indulgence, a tool of a lonely trade. Maybe you are a status symbol or just my costume for this soul parade. My Blackwing 602, you are an enigma and my friend. Ah, oh. sir, so, a love song to a pencil. <laughs>
0: Let me read this to you, Matt, and somebody, somebody in the audience might actually um, recognize this sentence, yeah. It's a, a sense about reviews, actually. Uh, I did a bit of a Google to see what other people had written about you, yeah, just to sort of show that I can do a bit of background research. We're not just flying by the seat of our pants. Well, we are, but uh, anyway, here it goes. Matt Nicholson was not a voice I immediately warned to. I had readily tarred him with a blokey poetry brush with watered-down lessons in local history. Yes, uh, somebody around the table. Yes, yeah, sure, no, I'm aware might, of it. might recognise that. <laughs> are you...
2: <laughs> Very aware of it. Are,
0: are you one of these utterly introspective writers, not giving a toss about anyone else, um, writing only because you really need to sort of release some inner energy or do you write to please an audience or or readership or or even a critical friend?
2: (laughs) Um, I like to think that um, I can learn from what other people have to say. I think if you were to read the stuff that Michelle had probably heard when she read that... Oh, you mentioned that person there. Oh, sorry. I was going to keep it quiet. Well, the picture's fallen off the dartboard now. It's all right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to think I could learn from other people. I'm, I'm one of these people that, you know, takes everything on board, cries a bit and gets on with it, really. Um, I don't ignore anything because I think it's a fool who ignores what other people have to say. But I think as you get older and I think the more you do it, you realise sometimes what other people's motives are or what the circumstances or the context in which they're saying things are. So it's I didn't cry for long. You made a point of uh,
1: getting outside of the city. Um, you do a lot of travelling. So where
2: have you been and what have you done? Wow, um, I've been all over Yorkshire, um, two open mic nights, poetry nights.
1: What sort of places?
2: Um, Harrogate, York, Sheffield, Leeds, Wakefield, Manchester, Chesterfield. That's yeah. quite an itinerary. Mm.
1: You, you travel out in your little orange tangerine car. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've <laughs> been in your orange mobile. tangerine car, the poetry mobile, yeah. We went to uh, one in Halifax, didn't we? We, went to we did, Halifax, yeah. Spoken Weird, which you've been, and you've headlined that, haven't you? Yes. A few yeah. times. Twice, yeah. 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 What's it like kind of travelling outside of the city? Um, because there's nobody in the audience likely to be people sort of that you might class as fans or whatever. They're completely new people. So what's that like?
2: It's great, to be honest. People have been really uh, warm and receptive over the last couple of years. I think um, one of the things that the City of Culture did for me personally was just raise Hull's profile. So when I turned up at places, um, they knew where I'd come from. (laughs) They knew roughly where it was on the map. Um, And they were open to hear what was coming out of the area. And I'm not in any way claiming to be representative, but it did me a lot of good, to be honest. In that respect, mm. people were really warm and friendly. And when they'd not heard you before, everything you do is new. So there's none of this, you know, doing the same set over and over again. That, you know, they'd never heard it before.
1: You were in Homefirth, weren't you?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. In November.
1: And, and then, and then, just was it yesterday, the day before you were in Chesterfield?
2: Well, those two are particularly. I mean, Homefirth was part of the um, Arts Festival. Um, fundraising, and I was supporting a, a poet called Matt Abbott. I don't know if any of you've heard of Matt Abbott, but he's uh, quite a big name young poet on the spoken word scene. And um, he w- he was in the uh, the, the Halifax adverts. Wasn't no, he? he was in the Nationwide adverts. No, no, there
1: we go, Nationwide adverts.
2: <laughs> Next door on the High Street, um, <laughs> and um, there was there was hundred plus people there, um, and um, you know it was a real proper full house and a great atmosphere um and i was saying to michelle earlier this is why she's brought this up i think um is um when i went to chesterfield this week there were 13 people there um but the 102 people in home firth bought three books between them and the uh, 13 people in chesterfield bought six between them so um there's <laughs> no proof to you know, there's no art to it there's no science you just turn up and do what you can and see if they like you and if you go down well they you know they're very receptive
1: there's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff out there but what what should we be looking for And kind of who have you seen that sort of say, they're doing something different they're they, they, they seem to be uh, you know they've got something
2: there's some amazing names about the place at the moment um, some of my favourites I mean there's some established people like Helen Moore and Kim Moore and um those kind of people but um, there's a lady from Wigan called Louise Fazakali who is easily one of the best I've seen and um, obviously um. There's a lady called Toria Garbutt who's been to Hull a few times. Um, really strong, powerful dialect-driven poetry. Mm. Uh, really honest. Um, you think mine's not cosy? Some of theirs is perhaps less cosy. Um, but yeah, there's some really strong. See, a lot of very strong female performers at the moment. Is Do
0: there they... not? I'm sorry. No, yeah, go on. Yeah, oh, I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, is there <laughs> one of you? <laughs> Is the north of England actually more poetic than the south of England? I mean, Hull as a city is actually described as a very poetic city. Yes. So if you were to draw a line between the south of England and the north of England, yeah. uh, where poetry begins, oh, where God. would it be? Is, is the north my generally experience poetic, poetic?
2: My experience has gone as far south as, as Derby and Chesterfield. So I I've performed once in London. Um, and that was a very different kind of audience. They were very much more intense. They weren't into enjoying it. They'd come to analyse and and break it apart and see who could be the cleverest, Um, whereas there's a lot more enjoyment in the sort of scene up here. People go out for a night out, and if there's poetry involved, all the better. Whereas um, in the Camden People's Theatre, it was a little bit like um, one of those uh, operations they used to do in the olden days, where everyone would watch from the gallery and see your insides pulled apart. Um, it felt like that. I mean, it was nice, but it was different.
0: So what was it about the north of England that made you write when you came back? Did you, did you actually write when you lived in the south?
2: I did. I tried to write novels and um, wrote three and tried to get them published to no, uh, with no success, really. Um, And then I came up here and joined a writing group and they got sick and tired of reading bits of my novel and then they said basically, will you, for goodness sake, write something else? So I started writing poetry. I was going to ask you, why poetry and not short stories? I have written short stories, I've had some short stories published but I just don't enjoy them as much. I don't enjoy the process as much. Mm. Um, I think somebody said to me the other day that prose is is more like looking through a telescope whereas poetry is more like looking through a microscope. You know, looking and getting to the detail, and and uh, whereas the telescope just brings something nearer that's far away, um, and I think I prefer that. Really, I think there's an intensity to poetry, and I'm quite an intense person, as you can probably tell.
0: I'm glad you've just used those analogies of sort of optical instruments. I'm a photographer, of course. Yeah? Yes, and I don't know. In some way, I find it um, quite natural to be to praise you, you, you poets. Because I feel that we're both producing imagery just in different ways. Um, are you also a keen photographer, or can you draw with a pencil as well? No, I'm hopeless.
2: Uh, pretty much everything else artistic, I, I'm hopeless. I can't sing, I can't um, draw. No, it's a, it's a very poor return on everything else, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah. So something I want to know is, and you don't know. I don't know whether you know it or not. But can you tell me, what is a slam, and possibly for the audience as well, what is a slam, and how does it differ from any other poetry gig?
2: Right. You're asking somebody with a fairly strong opinion on the subject. So I, I'm, um, hoping, I'm hoping. It is my, only my opinion, and I, I respect the whole notion of slam. Slam poetry is competitive poetry. Um, it is <laughs> fitting as many words as you can into three minutes, in my opinion. Um, it is... Um, Not really about the art of writing. It's about the art of performing in a very confined timeline. It's about hitting um, important, perhaps, virtue-signalling-type subjects along the way to get the audience on your side.
1: Just elaborate on
2: virtue-signalling.
1: I have Um, heard the term, but please, refresh my memory. As members of the audience, I can see
0: doing that at the moment.
2: (laughs) For me, it's people who are using trigger subjects to make sure they win the slam rather than writing about, about what they really feel or what they really want to talk about. Um, there is almost a slam-by-numbers method, in my opinion. Right. Um, it never used to be like that. There used to be a lot more variety in it. It used to be about who could write the best stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really become a, a poetry-by-numbers. Um, it's a great night out if you're part of it and you win and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But if, sure. if you try and be authentic and do your own stuff, you don't tend to win so it doesn't tend to be as much fun.
1: <laughs> A bit like bringing on soldiers at Britain's got talent that sort. Of,
2: oh, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah? I, I'll take your word for that, yeah. yeah. I don't know. You didn't watch Britain. The the sub, no, the sub
1: stories behind the Oh
2: thing. yeah, yeah, it's it's all the yes. Yeah. The trigger stories pulling on it, the
1: hearts, yes, symptoms, that sort of reality, thing. All mm.
2: that sort of thing. Yes, yeah.
1: Oh, well, I'm glad you cleared that up. I don't <laughs> think I want to go to a slam. Well, I don't think I want to be in a slam. I, I'll go to one. I'll go I, see I,
2: it. I, a lot of people enjoy them. Please don't let me put you off.
0: Have you got another poem for us now, Matt? I have,
2: yes. This one um, is about, well, it's about a number of things, but it came about really because trying to write a poem, sometimes you get stuck and you tend to uh, revert back to some of the old poetic forms. And when you try and write in some of those old poetic forms, they drag you off down Weird and wonderful direction she didn't expect to go. So this one is called my half-arsed sonnet type thing. She follows your scent across clammy nights. Carbon emissions lead her lonely chase. She lands softly on your unbroken skin and finds that most irritating place where your blood will pulse closest to the skin, where a watch strap or a handcuff might chafe. She waits until your mind falls fast asleep, foolish and certain that your soul is safe. And if she sticks you with her greed and hate, those particles will reside in your blood. She'll then move to her next naive supply, the same way that any parasite would. Because she is your dark assassinette, she is a dead-eyed sniper of the night. And all that you will know when you awake is that tight and itching mosquito bite.
0: Let's open the conversation up to this motley crew that are sitting here listening to you. Yeah, um, there's You've made some quite, um, well, some good comments about slam poetry in particular. I know there's at least one person in the audience that is quite a keen slam poet. Um, so, audience, have you got any questions you'd like to put to Matt? Oh, there's one. Yeah, go on, shout up. Hi, I'm quite interested in identities and how people
2: see themselves as, you know, what do you do and, yes. You know how then you're put into a bracket. Can you, when people say, what do you do? Do you say, I am a poet? And when did that first start? And it's like when you're acting, are you an actor when you're acting? Yes. You know, are you a poet when you're only writing a poet? Yes. Yeah, it's a tricky one because the label, I am a poet, was quite hard to accept for quite a long time because I've been trying to write novels for a few years. Um, And, it's still not the done thing to say you're a writer or to say you're a a poet it's still difficult to balance with the sort of gender stereotypes and things like that and certainly um the rest of my family are not particularly artistically inclined and i had a few quite interesting conversations along the way about exactly what a poet might be and how he might earn his money (laughs) Um, yeah but um I do wear the badge now. I do say I am a poet. Um, it took a while. When I wrote the first book a couple of years ago, I didn't do, didn't, didn't, use it so much. But I do a lot more performing now. I'm out and about a lot and um, covering quite a lot of miles and stuff. And, and I can't not say it, really, so I've had to get used to it. But um, it took a long time. As you can see by my body language, it still freaks me out to actually... <laughs> Justify it. This
0: feels like a bit of therapy, really. Now, yes. I, I am Matt Nicholson. I am a poet. Yes. Uh, it's, 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 I've, I've been in this sort of situation in in other sort of areas of my work. Yes. Yes. Yeah, where people stand up and say, "I am, I, I am yes. a." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, have we got any other questions? Put to out, Dave Windask One shout them out, man. I, I like to impassion take down of slam poetry, Matt. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's clearly a difference between writing for the page and writing for performance yes and i wondered what your views were on that and how that might
1: affect how you write poetry
2: it does um my personal experience is that i've kind of come to page poetry via performance rather than the other way around um i've got a, a sort of performance style delivery when i go on on stage and stuff but i do tend to do what i class as a page poem i don't try and concede too much to the, the sort of performance world. I, I, I don't sort of force rhymes or anything like that unless it's justified for me. So um, you see a lot of people out there who are, are sort of on the cusp, foot in either camp almost, and um, it's quite tricky. I've had people come up to me and say, I'm really lucky because I can, I can do a bit of both. But actually, that's a, that's a real tension. And um, to begin with, that tension nearly put me off it completely. But as time's gone on, I feel like it feeds it more now Um, because I know that if I'm writing something, it has to be good enough for me to be reading it off the page. But it also potentially has to be in a room full of people, something that's got enough commonality or enough immediacy for people to get what I'm on about. The good thing is often I'll do a poem and someone will come up to me afterwards and say, oh, that's not quite the performance poetry I'm used to. Not quite sure what you meant and then they buy a book because they want to read it and work it out. So um, in that respect, it works quite well, but it is a tension that I, I do sometimes feed off and sometimes struggle with.
0: Now, Michelle, have you got one last question? to put them out? Oh, we have. The audience. Dave, go on, shout it out.
2: I've got a massive head as well. Yeah. Um, I've never tried <laughs> buying a paperboy hat and then loosening the rim up with some really hot steam and pulling it out. Oh, yeah. I haven't. I haven't, but I'm going to see you after. Yeah. I'm tempted to get a hat made now. That's the right size and everything, but I just think, you know, having never worn a hat, if I was to suddenly start wearing a hat, being a poet, you know, I'm just reinforcing some of those, you know, I'd have to. Well, that's the thing about hats, isn't it? Clearly, they are very emotive. Yeah, when you lose a hat,
1: it's it is tragic. Mm. It's yeah. So maybe not get one.
2: I yeah. did
0: think of asking everyone to come in a hat tonight. I've got
1: the opposite, of, I've got the opposite effect. I've got a really small
0: head. Small head. And hats
1: just <laughs> they come down the ear on me. They all come down my yeah. eyebrows. They don't sit. They they
0: just fall.
2: It yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it's a good title now. I didn't like the title before, but I'm happy with it now. It's growing
0: on people, isn't
2: it? Come yeah, hats a, yeah. a good
1: title. Come yeah. in a hat, Oh <laughs>
0: Got it right. <laughs> I've now, now, oh dear. I've now yeah. got to take that explicit box when I upload this. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Matt, you've been described as a, a poet that has a real voice, a real message. Again, that's uh, I read that on your publisher's website. Yeah, yeah, bless him. What have you got in
2: you for the future? Well, I'm going on a tour. At the end the my thunder. Sorry. OK, well, I, I, I don't need much encouragement to talk about this. Week. Go for it. Go um, for I'm going on a tour at the end of well October and November supporting um, Matt Abbott, who I've mentioned before. We're doing 22 dates across the country um, in six weeks. So it's going to be a proper rock and roll poetry tour, um, which I'll probably need about three months off after that to recover. Um, but then I've got an idea for a book of murder poems, um, which may well be called A Hundred Ways to Kill a Man.
0: You've Um, got people in mind.
2: Yeah, well, I I wrote one this week, which I took to a writing group last night just to test it, and I thought they might call the police, but they didn't They liked it. (laughs) Um, So it kind of reinforced the idea. Some of them will be tongue-in-cheek and some of them will be really nasty.
1: Have you got ambitions to be a crime writer then?
2: I did write a couple of crime novels, but clearly the agents in London didn't quite see my uh, potential in that market. I might dig them out one day.
0: We've got to that stage where you need to sort of um, flick through your book there, uh, find your poem that you're going to finish this podcast with. So we've been speaking to Matt Nicholson. If you're on Twitter, you'll find him at Matt Poet Hull, And his publisher is Kings England Publishers. Their website is kingsengland.com. Um, so um, obviously the audience here tonight are going to be um, hot-footing it to the front here to buy Matt's book straight after. I didn't tell you that. Didn't tell you to bring your cash. And look, they've spent it all on wine. We'll on pass around. Here. Never, a mind. Met- never we'll, mind. We'll never pass
1: around a metaphorical hat. We will. We will. But
0: you can buy Matt's book online. I'm sure. Yes. Um, so Matt, go on, give us your 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 voice to finish.
2: Okay, I'm going to finish with a love poem just to throw a spanner in the works. Um, This is called When You Realise. It was in our eyes, in the recoil of that spring, making promises written on blotting paper pages in the traction of the April rain. It was in the garden, at the end of that sated summer, sinking heels into lazy lawns and spilling wine onto uncut grass. It was in the kitchen, while leaves were jumping to their deaths, that we made hot drinks in oversized mugs, taking turns to turn the thermostat. It was by the fireplace, in the colourless corollary of winter, drinking whiskey, eating chocolates, before climbing the stairs too soon.